right. Praise the Lord. We thank God for his goodness. We thank him for his mercy. There's nobody like our God. He is good all the time. He knows what we stand in the need of, and he's there with us. And you know, brothers and sisters, I, I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, a lot of things going on, but you know what? Our God is good. Amen. 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 Our God is good. Our God is present. Our God is always there, always accounted for. There's no time where our God is not there. Amen. There's no time where he's not hearing us. There's no time where he's not aware of our situations, our circumstances. And we and we thank him for that. Why? Because we know that he does not have to do that. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and continue um, where we uh, uh, where we left off in our scripture, uh, we are in the book of Psalms. We're in chapter twenty-seven. Amen. We're getting close to the end of this thing. The Word of God says this: A Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies for false witnesses are risen up against me and such as breathe out cruelty. Amen. May the Lord as always have a blessing um, to um, the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. As we always say, and I told you, we're going to probably always say this, the blessing family, friends, acquaintances, strangers, Listen, the blessing is in the obedience. Amen. Amen. You want to get close to God. You want to be able to interact with God in a meaningful way. You're going to have to do what God says. There's no substitute for that. We said it. We herald it. We keep going with it on and on and on. Why? Because there are so many of us that are trying to walk in God's way, walk with God, but only to have the hindrance be that we're trying to walk with God the way we want to, or in the manner in which we want to, but it simply doesn't work that way. And that's a beautiful segue this morning um, into what we're talking about. Look at Psalms 27. Look at verse number uh, 11. Um, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. That's verse number 11. Amen. Amen. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll tack on 12. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies for false witnesses are risen up against me and such as breathe out cruelty. We're going to try to get to that one, but we're really um, going to embark here on verse number 11 in this instance. And what we're talking about here just a little bit is the, the, the we're, we're talking about choosing a way. Amen. We're talking about choosing a way. Okay. Uh, Lord willing, we'll see how 
how how far we're able to get with this, but we we really want to talk about um choosing this 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 way or our path before God. Amen. Because it's important. It's 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 very important. It's vitally important. In our last uh text, in our last scriptures, as we uh were talking about this, we finished up really a three-part, almost four-part series. We really kind of talked about um when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Last week we finished really that up by talking about then the Lord will take me up. We spent three lessons talking about when my father and my mother forsake me. We built on that. God was blessed us tremendously. I know I was blessed. Um, and we learned a lot about God. We learned about um, what it means to be forsaken. We learned about the different types of forsaking. Um, we learned that there are, are a variety of meanings um, for the word um, forsaking or to for, or forsake. We understand now that that word really meant um, to abandon. And when we explore that word uh, abandon and really dug into it, we come to find out that there are two really main um, ideas that are being presented. At least they were being presented in our text as it concerns the word abandon or which translates to the word forsake, which is what you actually see in verse number 10 of uh, Psalms 27. Amen. And we learned that there was an agricultural um, um, perspective of it. Um, and then there was an actual um, um, leaving behind um, way of it. We both ways um, and in both instances, we talked about um, the positive of negatives of the agricultural concept. And then we talked about the, um, the negative, so to speak, of the secondary meaning or the primary meaning is what we called in the last two lessons um, or last three lessons rather, um, dealing with that of the concept of to, uh, to purposely or intentionally leave something behind, amen. Okay, so we, we we talked about that and we really got into those things. And then last week we rounded it up by taking up the B portion of Psalms 27 and 10, okay, which says, then the Lord will take me up. And 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 for those of you who missed it, just really um very, very quickly here, when we talk about father and mother, we discovered that that it, it it's not exclusive. It doesn't have to be when we apply this to us, okay, when we take this scripture and we apply what God was speaking or allowed David to speak to us, then it's not necessarily your physical mom and dad that is being uh, referenced here. We learned and discovered that you can swap them out for whoever that person is or those people are that are closest to you. Now, the concept of forsake, because the Bible says, when my father and my mother forsake me, we learned that that's an intentional forsaking. So this is not, this is not, oh, I had somebody close to me pass away or or someone, you know, involuntarily their job took them someplace. No, it's not that. This is the person that is closest to you, the one that um, that gives you guidance. This is the one. That, these are the ones that you look to um, for understanding to help guide your life um, and to give you direction. And these are the people that you that you confide in um, the deep issues. Amen. Of life. These that that's who these these people are. Okay. It could be mom and dad, but it doesn't have to be mom and dad. Okay. Amen. It could be for an older person. It could be for a younger person. There, it, it, age is not an, is 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 has no bearing on this. Okay, but be that as it may, it's when that person or those people intentionally leave. Okay, in other words, they do you wrong, and 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 they they you don't they 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 operate in a way that brings you front and center with the concept of betrayal. Okay, because when it's the one that is closest to you or those that are closest to you who intentionally hurt you the most or do you wrong, we have a word typically we use to describe that, and that's the word betrayal. Okay, when they intentionally leave, when they intentionally uh, do you in like that, or abandon you that's a betrayal and it leaves you and it leaves me with a sense of feeling betrayed okay you you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna feel that way 
But the word of God says it's at that point that the Lord will take me up. Amen. And that's what we talked about. That is what we, we, we talked about. He said, then the Lord will take me up. Amen. 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 We said that that was important. We discovered that that was important. Why? Because the word of God teaches us in the book of Isaiah, we gave this as an example, that in the year that King Uzziah died, amen, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. I also saw the Lord. Amen. So, and we said that many times when you look at verse number, when you're looking at verse number 10, that B portion, then the Lord will take me up. Really, that is a re that really brings in the concept that is being expressed or that was expressed in the book of Isaiah. Amen. When Isaiah says, hey, it's in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw also the Lord. Amen. Up to this point, all he could see and what was immediately in his view was King Uzziah. But it was not until Uzziah was off the scene. Amen that Isaiah was able to see the Lord, to finally see the Lord. Now, the Lord didn't just pick that time to show up. The Lord had always been there. But Isaiah could not see him the way he needed to see him. Why? Because in his viewport, Isaiah had given much of his focus to Uzziah. And as long as Uzziah had the focus, there were some things that Isaiah could not see, things that Isaiah needed, things that would be necessary to shape the ministry that God had given, the assignment that God had given to Isaiah. There were elements and things that Isaiah would never be able to walk in until he got his eyes and his focus squarely on the Lord. And much as it was with Isaiah, and what is being hinted to here in, I, in, in Psalms 27, the B portion of verse 10, then the Lord will take me up. That same thing is true. And we talked about that last week. That same thing is true for you and I. Many times we cannot see God because we're, still, we're too caught up. We're too reliant on our fellow human beings. Forgetting that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Forgetting that they are just like you and me. And if they're just like you and me, then it means that they're subject to faults and failures. Because the last time I checked, when I look in the mirror, I am far from staring at a guy that's gotten it all right. Oh, no. I'm looking at a guy who has more than his fair share of getting it all wrong. And you're a human just like me. And although it would be nice to entertain the idea that you tend to be right and you're more right than others or whatever. Let me explain something to you. You are as, as much of a sinner as I am. And I am as much as a sinner as Adam was, as Eve was, and so are you. Mm -mm. Doesn't matter. Did we do all the same things? No. But sin is sin, family. The wages of sin is still death. The wages of sin is still death. There might be varying degrees nestled within the things that we do that we like to attribute to it because we like to put levels with but but that don't change the fact that God doesn't see it like that. See, it doesn't matter how much I want to differentiate my sin from somebody else's and say, mine isn't that bad. And it doesn't matter how much you want to draw a distinction between what you do and what somebody else's do, somebody else has done. Doesn't matter. I might be willing to throw the book at everybody else 
All the while, I give myself a get-out-of-jail-free car. And you, and, and you know what? You may do the same thing. But that will never change the fact that it don't fly with God. And that word says that the wages of sin is still death. You and I, we can be ridiculous as we want to and come up with all of these, these, these caveats and exceptions to the things that we do. God ain't having not one of them. It's not going to fly. It doesn't matter what we come up with. It's not going to fly. Because regardless of the caliber of sin, all sin carries the death penalty. There is no sin that is exempt from that penalty. Thus proving time and time again why we need a Savior. Amen for Jesus. Amen for Jesus. I don't know. I, I mean, right now, this is the part where you ought to be feeling, thank God for, Lord, I thank God for you. I am so glad for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah to your name. I glorify you. Because what I could not do, you came in your strong arm. Made a way out of no way. Glory to God. Glory to God. I better keep moving because I can just get stuck right there praising God. Because I, I, I listen, listen, I, I, I got, I'm, I, I'm telling you, I got a rap sheet. I have a rap sheet and it's full of sin. And so do you. And if it had not been for the Lord having mercy on me and you. And I want to tell somebody right now that you haven't yet been forgiven of your sin, but you can. Today can be your day. Today is the day. Don't, don't harden your heart. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't let the devil get you into talking to yourself and telling yourself, well, you know what? I just got to get a few things right. You ain't going to never get enough right before you come to the Lord. You got to plug, look, you got to close your eyes, plug your nose, and you got to dive right in to the forgiveness of God. You got to repent of your sins. This is what we do because we can't fix it. And God is not asking you to fix it. He's asking you to let him fix it. And the first thing that he does in, fix is, in fixing it is that he washes it all away. You need to be forgiven. Ain't no such thing as karma and all this other kind of stuff that any other religion will come up with. You can't balance the scales. Even if you could, consider this. No sooner than you would get it right, with the next bad thought that comes through your mind, you would have thrown the scale off all over again. Stop trying to save yourself in the natural. And let God do the saving. After all, he's the only one qualified. Bible says salvation is of the Lord, family. It's of the Lord. Saving is what he specializes in. It's what he does. And he's looking for you to admit that you are wrong and that you need saving. And then to be obedient. You got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. He'll fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. When you get the gift of the Holy Ghost, you're not going to wonder about it. The Bible tells you what happens. They spoke in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave utterance. That is how you know. We're not adding to the scripture. We're telling you exactly what is in the scripture. That's all you got to do. It's when everyone else gets out of the way. Sometimes God has to allow separation to come. In the relationships that mean the most. Because we have mistakenly and incorrectly placed these people on the platform that is reserved for God and God alone.
God standing there all, all along trying to get your attention, but he can't quite get your attention. Why? Because there's a human that has your attention. So sometimes God has to allow the people that are closest to you to hurt you and abandon you. Sometimes in the worst seeming way, and it's all relative depending on the person. Meaning that it's different for every person, the thing that hurts them the most. And sometimes God has to allow that. Because it puts you in a position and in a place where you become desperate for help. You become desperate for someone to understand where you are. You just need somebody. And the type of interaction that God wants with you The type of relationship that God wants to have with you is the one where you are voluntarily in the relationship because you want to be. You need him. Did it ever occur to you that just like you have a desire within you, that wants someone to want you, wants someone to need you. You want to feel like somebody needs you, that somebody wants you around. Not that they have to be there, not because they're forced to be there or their arm is twisted in being there, but because they genuinely love and want to be there. Well, you get that emotion, the ability to feel that from God Almighty. Guess what? He feels the same way, and the relationship that he wants with you and I is not the one where we are forced and our arm is twisted, but where we're voluntary loving God with everything that we have. Why? Because we have attributed a value to God that is so strong that says, God, I need you. God want to feel like you need him. Thus, he designed you the same way. And the intent of allowing, the purpose of allowing these other relationships sometimes to fall apart so that we can finally see God is, is that God's hope God's desire, if you will, is, is that at the exit, after the exit of the person that had all of your attention, after they're gone, you would come to a place where you would finally be able to see that there is someone that really does want you around that really does have your best interest at heart. But the difference is, is one that really wants you so much that he will actually never leave you because he loves you that much and he wants you to love him the same way. God, I don't want you coming to him because, just because you want somebody to be healed or just because you want a new job or just because you want this, that, and the other. It doesn't matter how good or noble the thing is. God doesn't want you coming to him just because you're trying to get, 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 get. No. God wants fellowship. God wants God to sit down and just, look, look God wants to sit down and talk with you. without you always asking him for something. But just talking because you love him. 
and you just kind of want to chill out with God. Hanging with God. Fellowshipping with God. Walking with God. Communing with God. You who have a hard time seeing this, but you have someone in your life that you would consider um, a best friend. And if that's you and you have um, what would so-called be a best friend, when you are with your best friend, you're not always asking them for something. When you get together and, and you having time with your best friend, you're not always oh, trying to get them to give you something. You're not always asking them to do something for you. You go places together and you fellowship together. You talk about what's important to them and you talk about what's important to you. You back each other up and you be in each other's corner, but you... You may ask when you have need of something, but that's not the totality of the relationship. Well, guess what? Your walk with God and your relationship with God has got to be the same way. God desires it to be that way. And I want to ask you something. When is God going to truly become your friend and not just your provider? Because we have a whole problem with treating God as a friend when he's the friend that sticks closer than the brother. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff. Think about that. Sometimes it's just not until folks get out the way that you're able to see that God's been standing there all along. Just waiting on you. Verse number 11 says, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. Why? Because of my enemies. Teach me thy way. David says a request as we wind down Psalms 27, because we're getting to the end of it. We're, we're closing in on it. We got a few more verses. Amen. David says, teach me thy way. Think about all the things that came before. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I wanted this and, and all of these different things. Then as we get closer to the, to the end, David begins to, to realize something. begins to realize that not only do I need do, do I do do I need God but he's been there all along he was always there and in the the most extreme of times times of abandonment when folks just kind of pulled up stakes and left, not just anybody, but the ones that were closest to you. Betrayal. When your heart has been and had been wounded or even decimated because of betrayal. And betrayal to do that to you. My goodness, betrayal, man, is something else. One scripture said, I was wounded in the house of a friend. Jesus said, the son of man is betrayed. Disciples couldn't figure out who it was. Who are you talking about, Jesus? The same one who got his hand in this dish. With me. That's the one. Satan enters into Judas, the Lord tells him that that you do, do quickly. Betrayal hurts. 
And God knows what that feels like. Because the word of God teaches us that we have a high priest who has been touched by our every infirmity. You might think that don't nobody know and nobody care, but I'm going to tell you something. Somebody does know and somebody does care. And the one that you need to know the most and the one that you need to care the most is the one that knows and cares. That's God Almighty. Because here's the thing, I might know and I might care or somebody else might know and might, might care or empathize with you or sympathize with you or whatever, but that ain't no guarantee that they're going to be able to do something for you when your heart is broken and shattered and you need just, and you just looking for just somebody to help you pick the pieces up. Let me tell you something. There is nobody like God. David said, when father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. That doesn't just speak to the reality that many times is after people are gone, that God is able to, that God steps in. But it also speaks to the divine power of God. To come in and be and restore and to heal when nobody else can. Glory to God. Glory to God. Nevertheless, David gets to a point where he says, he's looking at all these things. And I want you to keep in mind. He says, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Declaring. That at the end of the day and at the end of the line, when nobody else can be there, nobody else will be there. God will always be right there. But verse 11, or yes, verse 11. Add something on to this. When he says, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of my enemies, David was actually declaring something else or showing us something else. See, he realized that it's God's going to be the one that will take up his cause, that will fight for him, that will deliver him. But as in lessons past, we learned that God simply does not bless mess. You cannot serve God the way you want to. You got to serve him the way he told you to. You can't come into his presence with what you want. You got to come into his presence with what he asks you to bring or the way he wants. You can't serve God your way. Newsflash, it's not your ministry. I don't care what gifting of the Holy Ghost you got. It don't, it's, listen, it's not yours. And you don't get to do whatever it is you want to do with it. And it's not designed to build your kingdom. It belongs to God and it is a tool to build his kingdom, not yours. When you use the gifting that God gave you, it's his reputation that's on the line. And every time you operate in the gifting, relying on the natural and not the spirit of God, you are attempting to build your own kingdom and not his. And God's not going to have that. When you rely on your own talents and skills and not on the Holy Ghost,
You're making it difficult for you to succeed. Because the gifts are not designed to work without God. I can't just do what I do because I want to do it. When I try to do this, whether it's teach or preach or whatever it is, if I operate on my own strength, brothers and sisters, then I fall and falter in my own strength or because of a lack thereof. And I bring shame and dishonor to God when I do that. And so do you. When David says, teach me thy way, it is because David recognized that God is the one that will take him up. God is the one who is going to deliver him. God is the one who's going to be there when no one else is there. God is the one who's going to be standing there when everything and everyone else checks out. Because it is God, you cannot relate to God any kind of way. So David declares, teach me thy way. In other words, since because it is God that is going to be the one that is going to be there and deliver me, then I have got to be able to interact with God. Teach me thy way. See, it ain't... Oh, it's only God that's coming to the rescue. It's only God that's going to show up. You thought it was going to be a human. You thought it was going to be this person and that confidant, but they checked out on you. And now all you got is God. And since God is your only recourse, it behooves you to learn how to relate to God. Because brothers and sisters, you don't have no other option. Not one that's going to work. Mm -mm. Nope. You got options, but not all. But, <laughs> but not all of them is good options. Teach me thy way. See, because it is the Lord that's going to take me up, that means that I got to learn how to interact with God. I got to learn how to interact with what? My deliverer. I got to learn how to talk to who? My savior. I got to learn about my friend. Amen. Teach me thy way, O Lord. The way of God. Not, not teach me, not <laughs> my own stuff. Not, 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 not teach me something else. Not teach me what this world has to offer. Not teach me the, all these other things. Teach me thy way. When he says thy way, he singles out that it's not everything. It's not, I'm not trying to learn everything about everything. I'm trying to learn something specific. I'm trying to learn what pertains and what's relevant to God. And I want to ask you, what are you after? You got questions, but what is it that you actually really want to know? And why do you want to know it? What are you after? What are you looking to gain? Does any of it pertain to God? Does any of it have anything to do with God?
How long are you going to devalue knowledge of the most high? Treating the articles and the oracles of God as if they secondhand. Something for you to pursue after you're done pursuing everything else. How long is God going to be and remain on the back burner in your life? Where is your prayer life? Am I talking to a person that doesn't have one? Why is it that you only pray when you get to church? Or when you are in a crisis, an emergency. My goodness, even the, the wicked call on God at that point. But you are supposed to be a child of God and a friend of God. Why are you so unfriendly towards God? You won't talk to him unless you want something. You won't go to him unless you think you can get something. You are content for the body of Christ to service you. But you do nothing at all. You love to hear the word, but you won't go out and give the word. You hide your identity on your job. You hide it everywhere you go. And then on Sundays and special occasions, you're proud to declare it. How long are you going to deal with God with such distaste? When everybody else was gone and goes, God will be right there. How long are you going to treat him as if he has to do that? Newsflash. God is standing at the end when everyone else has gone simply because he chose to stand there, not because anyone made him do that. I'm telling you, he's done it out of love. So when are you and I going to love him back? There are many ways, David said, teach me thy way. God is the one who's been there. God is the one who's always there. Don't you think it's high time that we show some respect and appreciation that we spend time getting to know him and fellowshipping with him? Not to get something else out of him, but how about because of appreciation for what he's already given. God's going to keep blessing and keep doing. That's what it's in his name. He loves to do that for you. But he don't want to be treated like he have to do it. He does it because he voluntarily chose. And he chose you when there was nothing about you <laughs> that was appealing or nothing. There's nothing about you and I that makes God do what he does other than he remembers why he created us. He loves us. But he don't love the stuff that you and I are doing that are contrary to his word. 
He doesn't like when we add to the scripture and we make all of these rigorous rules and ridiculous stuff that make serving God just this grievous thing or a yoke. Or He doesn't like when we act as though we have no responsibility to the word of God and to our brothers and sisters. He doesn't like when we treat each other like trash. He doesn't want you caught up in all the things of this world. He doesn't want you doing all of that kind of stuff. But it is said that what you do to one many times, you'll do to the other. And we oftentimes treat God badly, so it's no wonder. how we so often fall into the very sad habit of treating our brothers and sisters wrong. We can't fellowship. We get caught up on skin color. We get caught up in politics. We get caught up in, in opinions. We get caught up in selfish ambition. We get caught up in building our own thing. We get caught up in all of these things, trying to establish our own house and our own thing or whatever. But when you read the scripture, those that follow God, they didn't have to build their own house. God built the house for them. God established them for them. He didn't, they didn't even have to do nothing other than just be obedient. And the same is still true. You're trying to build a legacy. You're trying to build all these different things. You, you, listen, you ain't got to do all that. Just obey the scripture. Do what God says. Follow him. And he'll build a life for you. Some of you who are listening to it, you're too focused on trying to build your career and trying to do. Listen, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Do your part. Do the things that you're supposed to do. But don't spend an overabundance amount of time on the worldly aspect. You got to change the, the you got to you got to change that ratio. Spend more time. Learn to spend more time pursuing the relationship with God. Now notice, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about you spending all your time where you are just focused on just your brothers and sisters in prayer. Now that's a good thing to do, but even then you can't you can't spend all your time praying for everybody else. There's time for intercessory prayer and all there's time for all of that. But at some point, you got to start praying those prayers that are not about everybody else and everything else. The ones where you're just communing with God and you're talking to him about the word that you are reading. Now, this obviously cannot take place if you are not in your word and if you are not in your prayer closet, which simply means a metaphor for being in your time of prayer with God. You got to start pursuing understanding of the scripture. Because it's the scripture that you are going to need to release in, in, in many in the situations that life will throw you in. God's fixed this thing so much where the divine power of God is released in the spoken word of God. But let somebody think that you can just speak it and that it, uh-uh. It ain't done. You got to believe it also. So it is the word that is spoken in faith. Amen. 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 All of creation that we see leaped into existence by the spoken word. And we as his children are entrusted with the right and the privilege and the responsibility to affect change in this world by the believed in spoken word of God. Amen. 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 There are many ways or paths in this world. 
This is true. Many ways and paths in this world. And we are free to choose the path or the way we want. But not all paths yield the same result. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses, uh, verse 23. We're going to read two scriptures that seemingly say the same thing, but there are some differences. And we're going to bring that out. Because with the remainder of this lesson, and, and as we get into the next lesson, we're going to talk more and more about the way of God. But 1 Corinthians 10 and 23 says, all things are lawful for me but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Now, look at 1 Corinthians. I want you to go back a few chapters and I want you to look at chapter six now, okay? And I want you to look at verse number 12. Watch the similarities. And we're going to talk about that, but then we're also going to dive a little bit into the difference. First Corinthians 6 and 12 says it this way. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Recognize the language? We just saw that in First Corinthians 10, 23. You read it again. 6 and 12, First Corinthians. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, I said this statement. I said we are free to choose the path or the way that we want, but not all paths yield the same results. Okay, the choice is yours. And what you're seeing in the opening statement of 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 1 Corinthians 6 and 12, when the scripture says all things are lawful for me, what he's simply saying there is, is that I have a right, you have a right to choose what you want. You have the right to decide what you're going to do and the way you're going to do it. In other words, you have the right to choose how you're going to live. This is what he says. All things are lawful for me. Now, you need to understand something. That doesn't mean just because it's lawful doesn't mean, okay? It doesn't mean lawful in that it's right. Uh-uh. That's not what it's talking about. It's lawful in that it's permissible for me to choose. It doesn't mean that it is in accordance with law. You don't understand that. All things are lawful for me. In other words, I, it is my right to choose whatever. It does not mean that my choice is right, but Regardless of whether my choice is right or not, I still have a right to choose. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about that, that God-given right to choose. God, had, God didn't create robots. God created you with the freedom to choose. And so the apostle Paul says, all things are lawful for me. And he's simply saying it's permissible for me to choose. In other words, I have a right to choose it simply on the strength that it is my choice to decide. It does not mean my choice is right. It does not mean that the thing I choose is right. It does not mean that the thing I choose is according to the law. It does not mean that the thing I choose will not have repercussions in the negative side of things, but I still have a right to choose. Now, when he moves on, he says, but all things are not expedient. Now, when he tells us this, 
that all things are not expedient. What he's saying is, is that it's not advantageous. It's not helpful. He says, I have a right to choose whatever, but that does not mean that my choice is a good one. It's not advantageous. It's not, it's not getting ready to help me. It's not getting ready to get me somewhere. It's not getting ready to push me further ahead. It's not getting ready to advance me. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me. He reiterates again, I have the right to choose. Now in 10 and 23, he says, but all things edify not. I have a right to choose. Not every choice is advantageous or is a good choice. Because not every choice builds me up. Edify means to build up or to construct. That's what that means. It doesn't put me, it doesn't help me. And when you start talking about the word edify, you're really talking about personally building you up. So he says, I can make, I have a right to make choices, but not all things are expedient or, amen, not all things are advantageous for me to choose. I can choose whatever, but they're not always all good choices. And I know that they're not good choices. Why? Because they don't edify. Because what? They don't personally build me up. Now, when you look at verses 6 and 12 in 1 Corinthians, we add another layer to it. He says at the tail end of it, After reiterating that everything, it's lawful for me. I got a right to choose. But not all things are expedient. Not all choices are good choices. But he doesn't end with saying it doesn't build me up as we saw in chapter 10, verse 23. He reveals, the apostle reveals something else that you and I need to consider. Not only are some choices not advantageous because they don't personally build me up. They don't personally put me further ahead. But some of them, in accordance with 1 Corinthians 6 and 12, he ends by saying, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And what he's telling you is, is not only do they not build you up, but some choices will impose restrictions or restraints upon you because some choices carry restrictive consequences. And that's what he's talking about. I will not be brought under the power of any. Meaning that there are some things that though I have the right to choose, to choose it will result in the forfeiture of my right to choose. I hope you see that. I hope you see that. He says, all things are lawful for me. Basically, I got a right to choose. But not all things are expedient. They're not all good choices. All things are lawful for me. Yes, I still got a right to choose it. 
but not all things will edify, will build me as a person. In fact, some of it I won't even do. Why? Because I will not be brought under the power of any. So in other words, what he was telling you in verse uh, 12 of chapter six was that some choices, right now you start out with the right to choose, but there are some choices that you can make that will remove your right to make further choices. Because with the choice come the consequences of that choice. And they are not always consequences that are easily undone. Brothers and sisters, that's all the time that we have for today. I pray that this word was a blessing to you. We will pick this up next week and we'll go further into talking about the way of God. God bless you. Until next time, I'll stop the recording here. Wow.